Parenting is hard, but there's help. Welcome to Everyday Parenting with Mary Beth Henry, a licensed marriage and family therapist and parent educator. Everyday Parenting utilizes face-to-face, unscripted interviews with real parents, but names have been changed to protect their identities. Today's episode is sponsored by Jabberdogs. Speech, language, and communication play a vital role in our lives. Without it, children have difficulty communicating their basic needs and can struggle academically or with peers. At Jabberdogs, speech-language pathologist Stephanie Mashik can help you or your loved one become a successful communicator. Based in Pasadena, California, Jabberdogs offers private speech and language therapy at affordable rates. They also take insurance, including Blue Shield and Anthem Blue Cross of California. Visit Jabberdogs.com for more information. That's J-A-B-B-E-R-D-O-G-S dot com. Today's podcast is from a group session recording we did with a bunch of dads. If you want to hear more from these dads, listen to the previous episode on sibling rivalry. In today's episode, the dads talk about mealtime struggles they have with their kids. What about scenarios where where the conflict is not direct between the two of them? Um, and I'll give you the example of, let's say, so we have some mealtime rules at our house where unless you finish your food, you won't get dessert. So one of them will finish their food and they'll get dessert but the other one inevitably does not. And so the one who doesn't get it is looking at the other one and says, that's not fair, fair. that's not fair. So they're not directly at odds with each other, but they're comparing each other and comparing, you know, the results with each other. Yeah. What would you suggest in that situation? Okay. Here's another one. All right. Let's rewind a little bit because I have to go into a whole meal thing now with you. Because what I don't like to see is a priority put on a dessert. Okay. Your daughter's not complaining about the sister's fairness, she's just complaining about the dessert fairness. Because dessert is a commodity in your house. It's a commodity. It's a very high commodity because if you finish your dinner, you get the dessert. So that means all the, all the value of that meal, all the things you want your child to value is the dessert. That's what you're saying. So the other stuff, all the good healthy foods, no value. But the dessert, that's the value. So finish your food so you can have the dessert. So your child is, is really complaining about the idea of the commodity that you're using. And when we use commodities with children, we bargain with them, we ultimately lose out as parents because they start bargaining and they start wanting to bargain with everything. I actually like to feed dessert. If children really need that sugar fix or they really like that piece, I like to give it to them in the afternoon at three o'clock after their nap, after they're having school, burn it off for four hours, and then have dinner. Then the sweet fix is out of their system. And then you just have your dinner. And then you don't have a bargaining chip, right? That's the problem. And we don't need to bargain with children. With food and bargaining, it just ends up to be a disaster, a parenting disaster. And a child, in her mind, it's a child disaster because, well, I've been sitting here, I've been eating, I didn't finish my food, but. Why don't I get dessert? I see her complaint. That's valid. But it's because there's so much power to that dessert. That's what's causing the real problem here. So the idea is, I guess, not commoditizing anything then. Because, I mean, anything. That, that you can substitute dessert for anything, whether it's, I don't know. TV. Like TV or like. More, more, more books. Staying awake or staying away. anything. So what I like to look at is how you can use it as a tool, as a really powerful tool, where you could say, you know, on Friday nights or Sunday nights, whatever night you choose, that's going to be our dessert night. We're going to have dessert, but it has no correlation to a meal. It has correlation to the day. We had a great day. 
we just made it through the day. It's gonna be our, it's gonna be our dessert night. So meaning if they don't eat their food, that dinner that you have the dessert for, you st they still should get the dessert and not lose the dessert. It's, I don't put dessert as a commodity. I don't put that as a piece of a reward. It's like a separate thing. Food or as a reward. Look, look at it. Food as a reward. It becomes a really pretty vicious battle. It's, it's, it's a battleground that starts. Let's look at mealtime real quick. So do you serve a plate to your child? Do you give a plate to your child and say, here's your dinner for the night? Okay. Yes. Suggestion on that one. So the, the seven-year-old, the four-year-old, very capable of serving themselves, knowing how much food they should want and need for their body, and the respect of that and the, and the, and the idea that we give them the, the power over that, you will start seeing a lot less power playing going on because your seven-year-old is using a lot of power plays, right? To manipulate his sister, to get what they want. I mean, it's, it's they normal. They both do. It's normal stuff. But you're going to see a lot less of that in the home when you start taking the power out of certain things also. So, for example, a mealtime would look like this. You would make the meal. You would put the food, if we're sitting here at a table, we put the food in front of us. The food would get passed around. The children have a choice to take whatever they want off the off that table and eat. And there's no set, finish what's on your plate. It's, what does your body need? What does your body crave? What, everything on this table is a good option. Eat what you will. And I guess this is fighting back my own instinct on it is because I, I imagine it'll inevitably go with, there's a difference between what their body needs and what they crave. Because they will always inevitably go for the carbs, know, right? Starches or whatever. Yeah, and, and they absolutely will not touch. My my older daughter is like a vegetarian without, you know. Yeah, I mean, she she just has a thing. She she won't eat meat unless it's forced upon her. Yeah. I'm concerned about her protein intake. Mm -hmm. So that's why we try to make sure that she gets some protein every yeah. every meal yeah. we can. And if it's given up to her, she will never have any protein. Yeah. So what, you know, she's seven years old. What could you teach her about, talk about value, let's put value on this. What could you teach her about food? Or you could educate her about, for her age, this is how much food and protein that her body needs. She's well aware of that. She, she understands okay. the importance of protein, why she needs it. Okay, um, perfect. So you, you've done all the beginning steps. Now then at the mealtime, you want to provide at least one protein on that table, or maybe two for her, two proteins she might be willing to consider. So it isn't always meat. It could be tofu, it could be beans, it could be beans and rice, it could be um, eggs. eggs, yogurt, peanut butter, nuts, all sorts of things that be on that table. But you're not gonna put all those things on the table, but you're gonna try to teach her different proteins that she can start experimenting with. I feel like that's going into a direction where it's like we're catering basically like a specialized second meal just for her then. So give me an example, what, uh, for what, what's a typical meal that you might have for, for the family? Chicken, rice, and some vegetables. Okay. And she doesn't really like meat? No. Okay. So if you were to have chicken, rice, you'd have chicken on a plate, rice on a plate, and vegetables. I'm just, in my world, so that I would. Sure. Chicken, rice, and vegetables on a plate on, on the table. And then if you added one more protein in there, okay, one more thing, some nuts. Let's just say that she might try a nut. She might try some nuts. It would be really easy to put on the table. That's a protein. So if you were to have the rice, the vegetables, and she would eat some nuts, she's eating very comparable to what you're eating that night in the way of 
it's not a whole different meal, but it's not putting everything on the plate. And then us, us as adults, once again, controlling that, that environment and making it happen because we want it to happen. It's educating and teaching. So when she goes off someday, right, friend's house, and I always look long-term, I look going off to college. When she walks into the cafeteria, she's going to make choices, right, that are better for her versus walking in and saying, oh, my gosh, I've had my whole childhood where I was controlled and I was told what to eat. I'm going to walk in that cafeteria. I see a whole bowl of, what, let's think of something. I don't know. Hmm? Fruit Loops. Yes, Fruit Loops for breakfast. I'm going to have Fruit Loops every day. Right? And that, they will actually will do that. But, but they're also going to learn when I don't feel so well, I, I should probably think about my body too. I mean, that's, right? Okay. There's some different things to change around. And, and what you're dealing with at your home, it, you know, with, is very normal. We have a lot of power plays going on. We have a lot of arguing going on. And if we can start finding ways we can take away the power we think we need, you will start noticing your children having less arguments about things because they start seeing that they have power over some basic pieces of their life. Well, to, to play off of, off of this meal conversation, with my kids, when it comes to meal time, I'm usually the one that makes the meals. So I'll ask them what they want to eat and I'll give them options. I'll say, you can have this or you can have this. You can have either chicken or you could have like a... a hamburger patty, sure. and then whatever sure. else I want to include with it, whether sure. it's vegetables or rice. So you're asking each child what they want. So you I'll might ask make... them as a group. Okay. So I'll ask... Okay, so you'll get a consensus. Yeah, I'll get okay. a consensus. And they'll agree on something, and they'll say, okay, we want, for example, chicken. Okay, sure. so I'll go ahead and I'll make them the chicken. I'll do it how they want it, how they asked for it. I'll give it to them. And then the second it sits in front of them, the chicken sits there and they eat the carbs. That's right. They'll eat the noodles, they'll eat yep. the pasta, they'll yep. eat the rice, yep. but the chicken just sits there. And it's really frustrating because mm -hmm. this is exactly what they asked for. Mm -hmm. You know, you gave them the option to choose a healthy meal. Mm -hmm. You know, you're, you're giving them the options. Okay. The power. And the, the power. and the power we're talking about. Right. right. And the, the power. power. They're control. I'm the parent. I'm going to give them a menu that they could choose from, which I know is healthy for them. Sure. And I want them to choose from that so that they could eat it. And I'm, like you said, I'm giving them the power to be able to make that yeah. choice and, for and themselves. And the food is on the table and it's being passed around and they're taking options and they're asking for more and they're not. It's, Effectively, it's that's what I'm doing. But I'm not yeah. actually placing the food in front of them. I'm asking them ahead of time, what sure. would you like to eat? Sure. And, and you're eating this food also. Right. Okay. All right. Great idea. I ask them, get some idea, consensus of what they might like to eat once in a while. Not every night. Once in a while. You have to have some control once again. You can say, you know, Tuesday, Tuesday, Thursday nights will be a night that I will ask you what protein you want, but the other nights I'll be choosing. And you as a parent, you make that decision and put it on the table. What we want to also do is remember that with that idea that we're not asking and we are asking, you don't have to ask because when, when the food is on the table, you're going to have at least one thing on that table you know your child will eat. So if it's, let's say it's the noodles. They love the noodles and they're not, now, not eating that protein. Okay, so what, what conversation could you have with them at that moment to encourage body awareness, learning about our body, learning about what our body needs? So as you're eating that chicken that you prepared so nicely and no one has touched it, what are some encouraging words that you might be able to say to them at that point? What do you think you could say? Well, I, I try to play it off of something that they enjoy doing. Like my daughter, she likes dancing, she likes playing games and whatnot, so I kind of, we play it off of that. Sure. 
you know, if you don't eat this food, you won't have the muscles to be able to do this particular activity, and you won't have the energy. And, okay, and so, so those change the wording. If you eat, if you eat good proteins, if, versus if you don't, if you eat this chicken, it really will build muscle tone and have some good um, energy. It'll give you the sustaining piece. So can I first ask, do any of your children have any sensory pieces with food? Mm, I would say no. I okay. mean, they're pretty so comfortable with it. Okay. Yeah. It changes if a child has a sensory need with food and a sensory child with food, you don't ever want to force food on them. Right. But if it's not a sensory need, what you ask the child for you to give a, a no thank you bite. And a no thank you bite is that bite where you just you put one piece on your plate and you at least try it. Right. And, and you can give the, the father lecture. You know, I did ask, and this is something you, you all agreed upon, and you're going to get the one, well, I didn't say I wanted that. Right. right. That's why I don't like to go too much into that one. But once in a while, it's fine. Yeah, that's definitely something we do. We do say, like you said, we, we do say, okay, you know, here's the effectively one bite. We yeah. just want you to try it. Exactly. Call it a no thank you bite. Okay. They take a bite. Before we go to the thank you bite, there's some other ways you can do it. And what I like to encourage, too, is um, realize that when children are trying food, um, it's not so much the eating as it is all these steps leading up to the eating. So when you're making that dinner, I would like your, your children, all your children, to be more involved with the actual process of making the food. The, the idea is they're touching the food, they're smelling the food, they're, they're cutting the food, and in that process, they're, they're learning about that food. Mm -hmm. Okay, So that's... When we do food therapy or food interactions with children who have never tried a lot of foods, we take the steps, far more steps before we even try it, before we put it in our mouth. And then as they're preparing that food and they're cutting it, they're smelling it, they're seeing how it's cooked, once it's on the table, then you're asking them to just pass it around and smell it as it goes around. And when it comes back around, take one piece and put it on your plate. And then when it comes back around again that night, that 15, 20-minute meal time, try licking it. Try licking the food. <laughs> it's pretty amazing. Lick it, and sometimes it just automatically goes into that mouth. But it's the, it's slowing it down because once again, if we if we make it a power play and make it a real control thing again, what do we get? We put power on and control, and then what do children do? They, yeah, they resist. They resist. Right. So we're gonna slow the process down. But wouldn't the licking part be a power play as well, right? Well, it's but it's a process. <laughs> And it may not be that one time. They might look at the one time. Or they, they might even just touch at that meal. And then chicken might happen in another night. You could say, remember the other night? You touched the chicken, right? Yeah. It's slow. It's slowing it down. And that's what's hard for right. parents because we, we want fast, 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 instant gratification. And the more we can slow things down for children, the more they can process it. Well, in our case, it's not so much that they don't particularly like the protein or whatever it is that we're giving them. Mm -hmm. All the stuff that we give them, at least in our home, are things that they enjoy. They, they, we know for a fact that they like these things. Exactly. So we place it in front of them knowing ahead of time that they actually like it. Yeah. It's just the, the simple refusal to not eat it at that moment. Well, exactly. Say, no so, thanks. so once again, that's what I'm asking. So is the food on a plate or is the food on the table? Is it on In our case, plate? it's in a plate, yeah. On their plate in right. front of them. Yeah. That's what I'm asking. So just if you could just try it, try sure. it out at home where you're not going to make their plates, you're going to put the food on the table and let them take the items and put it on you. And what you're asking them, and as your family rule would be, this is all food that everyone likes. We're asking you to take a little bit of everything that's, that's there and take care of your body and put nutrition. But let them have that. Because if, if you immediately sit down, because you've all seen it, we, we sit down, we have our hands washed, our children are sitting, and you come around and you put a plate in front of them, and you get this 
oh no what? <laughs> right we all have seen it or the little ones start taking the food off and throwing it off to the side and oh it's touching it's touching it's touching it can't be touching don't go there let them create that let them create their touching plate or what they want on that plate right you've all heard those things because that's their control base that's what they're doing to control so take that whole piece out put the food on the table let them pass the food around. And I, if you know it's a food that they love, what I encourage you to do is use small spoons so they don't take a big scoop, right, of macaroni and cheese and the whole plate's back. <laughs> One scoop of food, pass it around. We share. And my whole thing with food on the table is I want the child asking for more versus asking for, no, no, I don't want that. I want, I want to hear that it say more. More, please. So what you're saying is, Try to reframe the situation exactly. so away from the negative. Exactly. Exactly. We have a different situation. Can you introduce yourself? Yeah, I'm Edwin. <laughs> I have a seven-year-old and a boy, Jordan, and Emily, she is five. So, so we come from a more traditional Asian family, and then the, in our meal time, what happens is we have... 10 dishes. Yes. And then we do have the situation where they can pick and choose sure, and they can sure. do whatever they like. We, we still set out tiny bits of rice because that's kind of like the foundation of the meal. Mm -hmm. But kids, they still don't eat much of anything. <laughs> they, although they have 10 different choices, mm -hmm. they're like, I don't want to eat anything. I just want to eat my rice. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. And so, Edward, how aware are they of how the food is made? How it's, how it's prepared, where does it come from, mm -hmm. what is this that's on this plate? How much do they know? We do involve them in certain meals to prep the dishes, but not every single meal, of course, okay. because they're just... So they, so they do see where, where stuff is, comes right. to the and market, then, and they pick stuff out, and, and, and they know usually how it's when made. we cook the specific dish, and they do eat that a lot. Yeah, so so that's something that, that we do see, but... Yeah. When, well, well, okay. So let's not glide over that one because that's important. Why do you think they eat that meal more, right? Why do you think children like things separate? They like to see the steps of how things are made. They like to see food in this little place and don't touch. Right? We talked about this. No touching stuff. Right? Mm -hmm. They like to see that. They like that that idea of knowing what it's all about. And so it is more successful, but you can't, I mean, I get it. You can't do it for every single meal. What would you say besides the rice is one thing you guaranteed will know your children would eat? Fried chicken. So that's something you know they like. They like chicken and it's fried chicken, yeah. right? Yes. So that would be something you could have once a week, right? Mm -hmm. On the table for them. Mm -hmm. Yes. Doable, yeah. 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 I really suggest that you sit down with, with your significant other and look at a seven-year-old and a five-year-old from a dietary standpoint, and really actually look at how much protein they actually need. <laughs> okay. Because you'll be shocked at how little it is. Right. right. We overfeed and, and worry mm -hmm. about our children eating so much that it does become this panic if our child does not eat um, a protein every single meal mm -hmm. or a vegetable every single, you know, we get this panic. Mm -hmm. And if you can go and just look at the dietary needs of a seven and a five-year-old and mm -hmm. really look at how small of ounces Okay, you know, if you were having to have watched under a pediatrician to, mm -hmm. for a, for a child's diet, they would look at a whole month, mm -hmm. a whole month's worth of food versus a whole day. <laughs> they want to see what a child eats in a month. Mm -hmm. So, in a month, do you think your child, your children, are getting a variety of foods? Um, would you say they're still pretty much stuck on the 
Uh, the younger one, the five-year-old, she's doing okay, I believe. Okay. But I think the older one, it's not the protein I'm, I'm concerned about. It's actually the vegetables. Vegetables, okay. Yeah, he, he doesn't eat any green vegetables ever since he was like three or something. Okay. <laughs> so that's, that's not, and it's not that uncommon. Everyone can say that about their children. It's not that uncommon. <laughs> so what kind of vegetables does he like? That's, I mean... Mm -hmm. Does it, will he eat versus cook? Will he eat raw vegetables or does he like cooked vegetables? No, no anything, vegetables. anything that's green or anything that's remotely related to it, I think okay. we'll have a hard time selling. And, okay. and again, we have ten dishes each night. Yeah. <laughs> so. yeah. Well, and a lot of those, a lot of those things too. Once again, children like the you know the, the simpler form. So if it's if it's a vegetable that has a lot of sauce on it, or a vegetable that has a lot of seasoning on it, you might just want to before you put the seasoning on it, just keep the vegetable separate and let him just see the vegetable smell that vegetable, touch it without all the sauces on it. Okay. Just to start getting him introduced to the, the vegetable, right? It, once again, breaking it down in steps for them versus just giving them the end result and then expecting them to try to, try to what is, oh, well, there's something in there. I'm not quite sure what it is, but, you know, and it might be that the taste, the texture, the smell okay. with just all the seasoning. <laughs> baby steps. And slowing it down. And the big thing, with again, with eating is, we have to model eating to our children. So if you're eating the food, you're sitting with your children eating the food, they're going to pick up all those, those cues of how to eat. But if we sit our children down by themselves, and I don't, you didn't say you were doing this, I'm just mentioning this for the group, mm -hmm. um, we want to make sure that we are always sitting and eating with our children as mm -hmm. much as possible. That model is huge. Mm -hmm. Child eating by themselves is not a, not a productive meal. Mm -hmm. It's the child feeling very isolated and expected to perform. This episode really encapsulates so many interesting pieces about relationships with our children. I guess the question I get a lot, in addition to eating or sleeping or peeing and pooping, is why are children so different now than they were back when we were children? And the answer I have for that is, I feel as though our, our families today are in a constant state of rush. And that constant rush is not giving us a chance to teach our children, teach our children the value of food and what where food comes from, how to prepare food, how to participate that. It also is an important thing where we're including our children, including our children in the process of preparing food, buying food, and giving them those jobs to be part of that really encourages the growth that we want in the long term for children to understand what food is all about and taking care of our bodies, learning about our bodies. The more we can do this, the more you will see cooperation, the more you'll see inclusiveness in your family, where the family wants to be together, the family wants to eat together, the family is less controlled. All these factors play into this where if you're seeing a lot of control issues in your family, a lot of conflict, it is because Someone is being controlled and someone doesn't want to be controlled. So step back, look at why is everything a conflict or what is a conflict and see what you can do differently to include the child in the process of what you're trying to get them to learn and to do. And I think you'll start seeing more cooperation. I think you'll start seeing enjoying or experiencing or trying new things. So take this moment and think about why food is something that is a contentious piece of your relationship with your child and change that. You have the ability to change it. Your child is taking your lead. Try a different approach. 
So I asked on the Facebook group what everyone's biggest mealtime struggle with their kids is. And one person said that their child will try something and say, it's okay, but I don't love it. And then switch to PB&J and then that she makes herself. And she says, I'm glad she's trying new things. Hooray. But I'd rather she eat the meal I prepared, even if she doesn't love it. Mm. I guess that's not in the cards, though. Mm. Well, it is in the cards. No one's ever going to love everything you make or with every food. So the fact that the child's willing to try things, that's huge. I've always used the idea of having PB&J on the, on the table. But, you know, I think the fact that the child is willing to try things, I think that needs to be really respected and understood and not make such a big fuss about it. If the child tries it, gives it a try, I don't like the flavor, I don't like the taste, I respect that. That would be a child that I maybe would want to include more in the process of maybe once a week have that child create a meal, plan a meal, see the process of it, see what it's like to create a meal and the time and the effort besides just telling them, do you know how long I've been cooking? You know, Have the child learn about how, how to cook and how to pick food and them create something that they truly would like. So another question was about the timing of the meals. So number mm-hmm. one, my kids take forever to eat anything, even sweet treats, and even if they aren't doing number two below, which is my kids love socializing with each other, and I struggle with telling them to stop because I see how much fun they're having mm-hmm. and they're actually getting along. And mealtime is a social time. Mealtime is that time to be a community and uh, be as a family. But if it's running into being late for school, we're now two hours into this meal and we're now not going to bed on time, you, know, you do have to help your children understand the time limit of what a meal looks like. So a typical meal during the, the school week when you are kind of have limited time, you can tell your children, hey guys, tonight we can talk, but we're not going to continually talk the whole time. And the way I like to do that with children is make a visual piece on the table. You can get like a five-minute timer or a two-minute timer, egg timer, and just flip it over and say, hey, okay, so it's and put it in front of that person that's talking. This is your time to share about your day. We're going to be listening, and while we're listening, we're going to be chewing and eating. And then after the two minutes, it gets passed to someone else, and they get a chance to share their day, and everyone else then is eating and chewing and listening. You know, mealtimes should be about between 20 and 30 minutes at the most, if they're going on and on and on, you can nip it a bit and teach them how to have their time to talk and say, hey guys, when we're all done with dinner, let's go in the bathtub and you can talk in the bathtub and we'll have some time at the end of the night to cuddle and talk to. So I, I have this problem too where my kids, they get really silly and just start making noises and then waste a lot of time and my daughter especially takes forever to eat a meal And we've tried kind of enforcing a time limit, but it felt a little bit too controlling. Mm. How do you, once you set a time, enforce it without being too controlling? Yeah, I guess the whole thing you have to look at is what is your body language and what is your (laughs) facial expressions as you're sitting there telling, hey guys, we have 15 more minutes. I honestly like to put a clock in the kitchen and a big enough clock where the child can read the numbers, see the numbers, and I like to use post-it note arrows and say, hey guys, okay, so it's uh, we're starting dinner at 5.30 or 6, and let's try to finish by 6.30 so we have time to, so we have time to, not finish your dinner, let's get going, stop talking, let's finish up so we have time to go do a puzzle together, or we have time to go for a walk before, before bath. What are we going to do next? And a lot of times children delay, 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 because they are actually 
do not want to go to what's next. We got to go to bath. We got to go to bed. We got to separate out. But let's go back to the the part where they're goofing around because that's a big one. And I know you particularly, that would make you very annoyed. So a, a child fooling around at the table is a way to get you to to respond and to react. So <laughs> with any situation, if it's something you can ignore, if they're not throwing food and they're just sitting there making funny noises and being, they think funny, you think not so funny, try to ignore it and say, hey, you know, guys, and before the meal, I'm not going to get involved with it. You start making noises. This is our time to eat, time to be together. I don't enjoy when all that happens. I want to sit here and enjoy the meal with you guys. Let's try to cut that behavior. And when they do it, ignore it. They're going to laugh. They think it's hilarious. But try to ignore or try to have fun with it, too. See what you can do. All right. Give it a shot. Good luck. Good luck. (laughs) This person, she didn't say how old her child was, so I think that would make a difference. But she says right now the problem is getting them to ingest the food. She spits it out and he dilly-dallies until he's, quote, full. Yeah, so I know the age of the the children on this one. So we're talking about a four-year-old and a, a little over a year or almost a year. So... So she spits out the food, and then it looks like he stalls until he's he says he's full. Yeah, so, okay, so the little one right now spitting out food, she's at the experimental phase right now of putting food in her mouth and moving around and trying new textures. And this is where exposure is huge. This is where you give the child time at the table to, number one, pick her own food up, not to be fed. What we want is her to be able to sit there Food is around the table and she points to it and it's given to her when she wants it, not just give her a plate full of food or put food into her mouth. Let her do a lot more self-feeding. She's old enough. She's, she's almost a year or a little bit over a year. She should be able to self-feed majority of the time and let her try foods out in her mouth. Yeah, she's not going to light some textures and she's going to spit it out. But look at your response as a parent. If you're sitting there going, oh, don't spit it out. Oh, don't. If you react in any big way, then she automatically then knows, okay, I know how to get a reaction, so I'm going to continue this this game. It's the same thing when they're throwing food in the ground. If they throw food in the ground, we just say, no, nope, we do not throw food in the ground. You take the food away, count to five in your head, say, try it again. Here's your food. Do not throw it in the ground. The, the older child who's three, he's just sitting and fiddling around and not really eating. Okay, that child needs to understand, too, a little more of the time issue, not pressure on it, but just a a general time. And then having a conversation with him, talking about your day, and then teaching him how to listen and eat, talk. Also look at, are both these children hungry when they sit down? Because a lot of times these behaviors that you're seeing are children who may not be fully hungry. They might have had snacks two hours before or three hours before, and they may not truly be hungry. And a lot of this behavior you see is because the child isn't hungry and the child's not invested in this process. Okay, so this person has a picky eater. His diet is limited to frozen waffles, pancakes, oatmeal, plain bagels, some fruit, pasta, cheese, pizza, quesadillas, macaroni and cheese, and a handful of snacks. Red jello, vanilla ice cream, and no meat, no chicken, no fish, no vegetables, no milk. I wonder how this kid is thriving. I've tried everything, including not doing anything, to get him to eat more things. 
Recently, trying new foods results in gagging and even vomiting on a couple of occasions. I'm beginning to wonder if this is a sensory issue. Yeah. I know this young boy that we're talking about. Everything you're talking about there is definitely some sensory pieces of eating. We have definitely some sensitivities. We definitely have the physical reaction, the choking, the gagging. You know, is choking and gagging a sensory? Not always, but in this sense, look at all the foods that he's eating. They're all very, very similar foods. So what I would want to focus on with him is I would go in for a good physical with your doctor and do an extreme blood panel with him and really look at the minerals and the vitamins and the whole uh, blood count of this child to kind of see what his body is communicating, what his body is needing, because he is definitely eating a very limited diet, but a very similar diet. Everything you describe is very similar. So is it a texture issue? Is it a, is the body craving certain pieces that he's overly craving something? That would be something I want to look at. So he would be one I would want to do a complete physical on with, for his next exam, do a good blood panel on, get that baseline, and then maybe talk to a pediatric nutritionist and work out a plan of introducing different variations of food that he already eats in just different, in different ways. So what are some like red flags or signs that where you would say that a child should go see a, I don't know, a, a, food, a food therapist. therapist. Or a, yeah. You know, what, what you always have to look at is the health issues. Pediatrician starts seeing a decline, and when you start giving the pediatrician the diet that this child's eating, it's very, very limited. And, you know, there is the gagging and then the choking and the avoidance and, you know, just touching the food. The child doesn't want to touch food. The child doesn't the smell of food. How do they respond to all the pieces of food? Food isn't just about eating. Food is the smell, the touch, the taste, the texture, all those things. you got to look at all those variables, and you got to look at the body weight. Is the child not gaining weight? Is the child not eating enough of foods that will allow him to gain weight? Or is he eating too much of you know the carbs and all the other very bland food? But it's, you got to look at the whole piece of the sensory. It's not just the eating. It's the, the smell, the extreme reaction to smell, taste, touch. Those are big pieces. It's not just the one eating aspect. It's the whole, the whole reaction. If you haven't joined our Facebook group yet, I highly recommend you do so. Just search for Everyday Parenting Group on Facebook. You could ask questions there, which might even be answered on the podcast. Here's one question we got from the Facebook group. If you had young children and you passed away, do you think it would provide more closure for them to see you one last time in an open casket, or would it be easier for their adjustment if the casket was closed and only allow them the memories of you when you were alive? We, we celebrate birth. We need to also celebrate and understand death. It is all part of this whole life cycle process. And what I encourage is not to make it a blanket statement like, oh, yeah, every child should do this. Every no, what I want you to do is look at your emotional age of your child, look at the physical age of your child, but look at the emotional age of your child. What, what has your child learned about death? And that's why I like to, before death strikes a family, which you can't predict, but look at your family, look at the structure, look at the age of your grandparents, the parents, whatever, the dog in your house, the fish in your house. Talk about death before it is a crisis. Talk about it. Read books about it. Teach your children the language for your family. Every family has their way of describing what death is, what happens to someone when they die. You as a family has to create their belief on what death is and what it looks like. Then, if that child emotionally 
is able to understand and process and and has learned about death, then I would like them to see what death is. You're not going to see a gruesome scene. It's going to be a very peaceful scene. It's going to be, and it's going to give an answer to a child of what death is. They will take that image and they will continue to ask questions about it for sure. But that's what we want. We want them to ask questions about it so they understand it. And they also understand the value of life because life is a value and you have to see the whole spectrum to really get that and grasp that. Everyday Parenting is produced by me, Teresa Wang. The music you hear in our podcast is courtesy of Stephen Morell. Join the discussion. Search for Everyday Parenting Group on Facebook, where you can discuss the latest episode, ask for advice, give advice, and posit the question, what would Mary Beth do? You can also reach us at parentingpodcast.com or on Twitter, where our handle is Podcast Parents, or Instagram, where our handle is Everyday Parenting Podcast. Be sure to check our website for more tips at everydayparentingpodcast.com and sign up for our newsletter. To make sure you catch our next episode, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. And make sure you rate us on iTunes. It helps more people find us.